If you are homeschooling your child, or even if you are not, and want to learn more about how to nurture your child's sense of wonder, then this episode is for you. Welcome to episode 17 of the Curious Neuron Podcast. Welcome to the Curious Neuron Podcast, parenting advice that is backed by science. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I'm the founder and your host. I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience, and I'm a mom of three. My goal is to bring you information from research that will help you parent your child. Whether you just had a baby or you have a teenager, Curious Neuron is here to answer your questions. Learn with us by visiting our website at CuriousNeuron.com. Join us on Instagram or Facebook. Join our courses, our live webinars, or our weekly family meetings on Monday nights. Send in your comments or questions at info at CuriousNeuron.com. Hello, friend. Thank you for joining me today. I know it's been a while since I last published a podcast episode and I'm so sorry. I, I miss speaking to you. I've been going through a lot more of these sort of challenging times, I guess, as a parent. Now my youngest is uh, 16 months and trying to balance, you know, taking care of the house, being home during the day with the kids and working on Curious Neuron um, has been quite the challenge. And, you know, I, I miss sleep. <laughs> uh, I'm starting now to regain a bit of balance and I had to put a lot of things on the side for a little while but now I'm back and I have four amazing episodes waiting to be published and I can't wait to share these interviews with you. So let's officially launch season two of the Curious Neuron podcast. If you haven't been to our website recently or if you don't follow us on Instagram then you might not know about our weekly uh, Monday Zoom calls that I call family meetings. I love getting to know everyone who joins and together we share our journey as parents um, and I try to provide some advice every Monday night, um, for, you know, discussing various topics. Every last Monday now of this um, family meeting that we have, the last Monday of every month, will be a Q&A. So if you'd like to join us, um, visit curiousneuron.com and click on join the family. You'll get the Zoom link there. We also have a membership now. You can get access to all the replays of the family meeting, either through a PDF or the actual video. Um, there are membership costs from $1, $5, or $10 a month. So if you'd like to support Kirsten and get more little perks, um, visit patreon.com slash Lastly, if you enjoyed season one and like to show your love, please consider leaving rating a review on iTunes. Go ahead. I'll give you a few minutes to click out of the podcast now and swipe those stars and leave a review. I wanted to start off this season by discussing homeschooling. Many parents right now, including myself, are homeschooling because of COVID. Some might have been prepared for this, while others might have not. I've been homeschooling my daughter now, who started kindergarten this year. Homeschooling is very different than most people picture it to be. And this is why I wanted to start off this season with this topic. My conversation with today's guest, in my opinion, is something we can all apply at home with our kids, whether we're homeschooling or not. Learning happens everywhere and at all ages, at home or at school or even when we're out and about. It happens everywhere when we allow our kids to guide us with their learning and what they're interested in. Each why can lead to something new. And even if we don't know the answer to this, we can definitely take the time to sit down and look it up on the internet and try to learn about it together. So I encourage you to start doing this. And I know that by the end of this episode, you'll have the tools that you need to start applying this in your own home. 
Children are naturally curious and have such a beautiful sense of wonder. Um, when we nurture this and by prompting them with questions, and we can nurture this by asking questions or guiding their thoughts. This is why I decided to reach out to Jen to join me today. She has a wonderful view on homeschooling, not to mention a podcast that I thoroughly enjoy. Jen Lumenlan is the host of Your Parenting Mojo podcast. Her podcast is a reference guide for parents of toddlers and preschoolers based on scientific research and the principles of respectful parenting. In each episode, she examines a topic related to parenting and child development from all sides to help parents understand how to make decisions about raising their children. Please enjoy my interview with Jen. Hi, Jen. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much, Cindy. It's great to be here. Uh, you know, today we're talking about homeschooling and I'm um, really excited to talk about this because, you know, I think a lot of parents need to hear about this and need some support right now. Given COVID-19, uh, I think a lot of parents ended up homeschooling without even thinking they would do that <laughs> one day in their mm -hmm. lives. Um, and education is not now, it's not about being in the school setting. It's either through Zoom with remote learning, it's homeschooling, it's in the school setting. So it's changed. <laughs> Very much so. Yes, yeah, so um, I think the goal today with my, my discussion with you um, is to really, you know, guide parents in homeschooling, those who have decided to homeschool and provide even some tips for those who are using remote learning. We'll talk a little bit about Zoom. But before we get into that, I'd love to learn, I, I'd love to chat with you a little bit more about your parenting mojo. We, we'll get into it again at the end, um, but just so that people have an idea of, I gave them a bit of their, your background at the beginning, but just so that they have an idea of what your parenting mojo is and what your background is. Sure, yeah. So your parenting Mojo is my podcast and is becoming kind of a broader platform for parents. And I basically take scientific research on parenting and child development and turn it into tools that parents can actually use to make decisions about raising their real children, <laughs> their real families. Um, I think par parents uh, tend to see a lot of the the emails that certain baby centered platforms send out and uh, they'll try and be very sort of clickbaity and they'll send you the results of one study and say, you know, five ways to tell whether your child has a developmental delay uh, <laughs> to, to try and entice you to click through and, and see all their ads that they're going to serve up to you. And you have no sense of how does this study fit into the overall body of research and should mm -hmm. we even be, be paying attention to this topic? And I, I was just so frustrated with that myself when my daughter was born and I thought there has to be <laughs> there has to be better information out there mm -hmm. and it turns out that it is but oftentimes it's behind paywalls and it's um it, it's not very available or accessible to the public and so my I really see my role as somebody who can take that information and and uh, translate it into real tools that people can use and for those who are listening with your podcast I mean you you've started doing you started doing this around 2016 I believe for your podcast uh, yeah I think it yeah it was 15 or 16 it's all kind of blurring together now but yeah yeah and you have over a hundred episodes so I mean you've spoken to so many people <laughs> that's a lot yeah yeah sometimes I will examine an episode an issue by myself particularly where the research is very conflicted mm -hmm. um, because I find that that's a better way to explore well this set of people says this and this set said this and we really want to look at the balanced um sort of overview of it but often I also 
also invite scientists that are really, I mean, the, the people who are focused on this specific topic uh, mm -hmm. so that we can get the world's best minds to help us understand uh, not just what did their book say, but if I was a parent reading the book and I have questions about it, <laughs> mm -hmm, <laughs> you know, exactly. these are the kinds of things that I would ask um, that, that, that any parent would ask as they're reading this book and they would want to find an answer and now they actually can get answers to those questions from the mm -hmm. people who wrote the books on these topics. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I think it's important for parents to understand that sometimes we don't get an answer that we want from research or it's not really a clear answer. It's not yes. always black and white. It is <laughs> and not. Actually and very, very often gray. <laughs> yes, I mean the answer itself is gray, but the, the bigger issue is of course yeah. how the question is asked in the first place. Mm -hmm. And very often we see that there's, the way the research question is asked ends up perpetuating you know, white dominant cultural norms. Um, mm -hmm. The way samples are selected um, often will be uh, will sample from white college students and mm -hmm. then extrapolate the results as as if they're applicable to all mankind um, and so yeah there, there's a lot of value decisions that are made throughout the scientific process that end up in, impacting the results that mm -hmm. when you see the article from a certain platform <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that uh, sends out this clickbait stuff you know you never get the understanding of that and, and mm -hmm. so I try and go at least one level if not five levels below to see what's really going on and that's definitely something i appreciate about your podcast and your platform is is really the depth that you you go into for each topic so thanks for doing that mm, thank you for listening <laughs> so yeah thanks so now let's get into our topic today in terms mm -hmm. of homeschooling uh, again this is something that has just been thrown upon us uh, for many parents out there and uh you know what uh, how, I, I guess I would love to start with maybe some common myths that you've heard around homeschooling because there are, there are a few. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we should firstly start by, uh, sort of clarifying what homeschooling is. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I think there's a, a tendency for parents to think, well, my child is learning at home now, so they're homeschooling, but homeschooling True. is actually sort of a very definite legal arrangement. If you say that you're homeschooling, that means you have withdrawn your child from school. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the requirements for doing that are different in every state and province. In some places, you don't even have to notify the school or the school district. Your child just stops going. You don't have to say anything to anyone. You can teach them whatever you like or not teach mm -hmm. them anything at all. And nobody is likely to ever follow up. And then there are other states and provinces where uh, you must notify <laughs> several yes. different people and, mm -hmm. and keep records of their academic process uh, progress and uh, mm -hmm. report that regularly. So, uh, so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about homeschooling, which is different from uh, what, what I'm kind of calling Zoom school. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so in in terms of misconceptions, I mean, I think a bunch of those are kind of falling by the wayside now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fact that only weird people would homeschool. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up in England and I didn't know anyone who was homeschooled, so I didn't kind of come to this with any preconceptions about it and then mm -hmm. when I started talking about it here in the US and started saying to people oh yeah I'm gonna homeschool my daughter which we had been thinking of doing you know four, four years ago we, mm -hmm. we started this decision-making process and people would look at me like I had two heads <laughs> <laughs> why would why would you do that because yes. yeah it, it definitely has this reputation reputation that only certain types of people uh, do homeschooling and they're probably not the kind of people who uh, are interested in a podcast on scientific research and <laughs> development for example yeah. um, and, and I'm not saying that's true but just that no. that's the perception that there was about it mm-hmm 
And I, I, I completely understand it because now only recently when I decided to homeschool my daughter, I saw that look in the face mm-hmm. <laughs> on people's faces now of like, yeah, yeah. It's, whether it's family, close family, you know, or friends, they, they question it because I, I think in the end they, they want obviously what's best for your child, but they think that homeschooling is not. Um, and the, for me, the biggest myth that I keep hearing about is socialization. How will you socialize oh, yeah. your kid? <laughs> now, pre-COVID, I would have said there's no issue. There are no issues around this. Um, during COVID, I, I kind of understand it. What is your take now in terms of socialization and homeschooling? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, socialization is very different now <laughs> for everybody, yes. whether or not you're still enrolled in, in school. So um, one thing I will say is that this idea that all children uh, should be together in a cohort of their exact same age peers Mm -hmm. is in the grand scheme of uh, human history, extremely strange. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just something that's never been done before schools were created, um, Mm. you know, a hundred or so years ago. So we wouldn't have survived as a species if this kind of arrangement was required for us to learn what we need to learn to function in society. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's sort of a strange position in a way that we think it's strange that that arrangement has to exist for our child to make progress. And of course, um, when, when COVID is not happening, homeschoolers are socializing all over the place. I mean, they're having park meetups, they're having co-ops, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're socializing with people who have very different ages from them because they're, they're socializing over shared interests. Uh, mm. you know, there are a lot of kids now who are afraid of people who are, you know, senior citizens because they never interact with them. Whereas yes. if, if my child has an interest in model trains, she's going to get involved in a model train club and she's going to really spend a lot of time around people who are older than her and, and develop that rapport that's across generations. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that's much more difficult now, but it's difficult for everybody. It's not difficult uniquely exactly. for homeschoolers. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And, you know, one of the questions I had received was how many playdates should a child have but it's interesting because we never look at it as it's not just about a number of playdates but it's about the age group that you're interacting with yeah and also i mean there's no there's no magic number of playdates that's the right number there's there's what is what seems about right for this child and this family um Mm -hmm. and and maybe you could form some kind of little social bubble with your neighbors and Mm -hmm. and they you could agree to not socialize outside of that that boundary if your child is someone who needs a lot of interaction with other other children mm-hmm. um my daughter actually doesn't and and we have to persuade her to leave the house she's quite happy walking around in her underwear <laughs> <laughs> seven days a week and and uh, <laughs> Um, and, and she gets social skills through interacting with us in person. Exactly. She's also having regular calls with family members and friends. And um, yeah, it's, it's not the same. It's not the same, but it's not the same for everybody. It's not a challenge that's unique to homeschoolers. Mm-hmm. And I also like questioning and, and asking people what they mean by socialization, because everybody's pers- <laughs> not perception, but their definition of it. Yeah. seems to vary right so we we tend to go towards that social you know activity in terms of playing with friends but there's also you know some people might take it in terms of social influence so you know teaching children mm-hmm. to conform to majority norms or others might look at it more in terms of social uh, exposure um we're really introducing children to the culture and values of you know different groups or of people so mm-hmm. it's there is a lot more to just having play dates and you know just going out for a walk with your child and saying hi to somebody walking by or mm-hmm. um the phone calls like you said there's a lot more to it than just a play date 
There really is. And I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, I, I think that, that that aspect of it is something that, you know, when, when you say socialization, parents are thinking about play dates. Mm-hmm. Um, really getting deeply connected with your neighborhood is so important right now. Um, understanding who's on your street and what needs do they have and how can we support them in meeting those needs. I mean, that that's a kind of socialization exactly. that you just don't get when you're in a classroom of your same exactly. age years. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, also the idea of, of socialization to cultural norms. Uh, I, I, it wasn't until I did a podcast episode on this fairly recently and I dug into the research on it that I realized, I mean, every single aspect of a child's day in school serves to perpetuate the dominant cultural norms Mm -hmm. from the bell schedule, you know, where, where everything has to happen at a certain time, uh, in a certain way to show and tell where it reinforces, uh, our materialistic values and, and teaches children, they have to present information in a certain way. And the other Mm -hmm. ways of presenting information are not valued. I mean, that's an aspect of socialization as well that I think is far too often not understood and not considered. Mm Mm-hmm. Good, good point. And you, you touched a bit about the, you know, the show and tell and the presentations. Some parents question what kind of curriculum should they be introducing their child to? Um, what, what sort of advice would you have around that? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a big question. <laughs> that's a big question. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, when we, when we think about school, uh, we think about curriculum because we think you know we most of us went through myself included went through school somebody Mm -hmm. decided what was important for me to learn i didn't have any say in that Mm -hmm. um and we're just kind of uh we're taught that somebody somewhere knows better than you do what it is you need to know Mm. and when we start homeschooling we think well that's the way they do it in school and teachers are you know they they're taught how to teach and they use a curriculum and so that must be how it's done that's how learning is done learning consists of taking this set of knowledge uh, and pouring it into the waiting and open vessel of the child's mind. Mm-hmm. I see the and, image in my head, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so what it turns out to mean is that the curriculum is for the parent's benefit, mm-hmm. not for the child's benefit. The curriculum mm-hmm. is there so that the parent can point to this and say, oh, okay, all right, we did our three pages today. That means we're on track because we have this fear of falling behind that our child is somehow going to miss out if we don't do the right things on the right Mm. schedule and and they won't be at the same level their peers are at Mm -hmm. because we have this view of of everything being standardized. Mm -hmm. But if we can change the way that we think about learning and uh, really see it as something that uh, the child is not only capable of driving, but wants to drive, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, then all kinds of opportunities open up. I mean, if we think about Zoom school, (laughs) um, (laughs) one of the reasons why it's so hard is because you're trying to get the child to do something they don't want to do. They have Mm -hmm. no interest in this topic. At school, the teacher is keeping them on track. They're looking around the classroom. All their peers are doing it. The peer pressure is keeping them on track. The stars, the stickers, the behavior charts, all of that is making them uh, get invested in doing this thing they don't want to do. At Mm -hmm. home, you have to provide that motivation. Exactly. (laughs) And that's why it's so hard. So instead Mm -hmm. of trying to get your child to do something they're inherently uninterested in doing, because if somebody else picks the topic, why would... I or you or anyone be interested in learning that mm-hmm. instead allow them to uh, to learn about the things they're interested in and support them in doing that that's a big focus of my work right now mm-hmm. 
And that that is really what drives the internal motivation for a child. And and yeah. once they, that's I mean even for uh, for us as an adult, if we we're given choices and we we go throughout our day and we do what we want, there's that need to to continue to do it, you know, to yeah. to go through with it. And it's the same thing for children. But now, like you said, comparing let's say homeschooling to Zoom school, as you call it, mm-hmm. um, a child even here in Montreal. Some children have the option of this remote learning through Zoom, mm-hmm. but then they're following the curriculum of the school and they're following the same structure as the school. So I I, I feel like it's a, almost um, even more difficult for a child who's doing mm-hmm. the Zoom school to to continue because a parent will struggle with trying to motivate them when they're not they're just following the same schedule as their school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard one child quoted uh, in a Facebook post saying, it's all the parts of school I don't like and none of the parts that I do. That's another part of it, right? So the kids love, they need, they want to play with their friends. That's, mm-hmm. I, I think I had read an article that spoke about just, if you ask a child the best part of school, they'll talk about their friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and now that's gone. And I, I, I guess I don't even know myself what I would offer in terms of advice for parents if they do want to help their child concentrate during zoom school but they they aren't they aren't able to use that child-led learning approach yeah. or well i mean i think there there are a number of things that you can do um and and you know some some of these are things like setting up a comfortable space so you've probably seen a hundred pictures that are they're beautiful pinterest worthy setups of learning <laughs> spaces recently and all the chairs are really hard mm-hmm. <laughs> um and uh there's a desk and because we have this vision that if the child's not sitting on a hard chair at a desk they're not learning mm. uh, whereas it's possible that the child just needs somewhere to relax a little bit because their brain has to be so engaged all the time because on zoom school it's it's hard to put your hand up and say I don't understand that because you don't want to interrupt the flow of the teacher sure. um it you they can't read your your uh, facial expressions and you can't read theirs so you're constantly paying like your brain is is has to be super engaged all the time to make sure mm-hmm. you understand what's going on um you can reduce distractions and that could be physical distractions in the room like siblings and pets um and and also within zoom itself so not putting the gallery view up so they're not looking at all their classmates potentially they're just looking at the person teaching they're Mm -hmm. not looking at themselves which can be a massive source of distraction um using over ear headphones to uh to reduce the amount of noise that is uh is coming around from around the child Mm -hmm. uh, making sure that there are regular breaks and that you use those breaks to get food and move around and do things that feel good to your body um, but but chances are it's I mean school's been back in for, uh, for in California for it will be I mean it's a couple of weeks now it'll be several weeks by the time you air this mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. and I mean I've seen pictures of children curled up in the fetal position in bean bags just to try to escape the stimulation wow. and and so there's there has to be this ep- this element of empathizing with them and saying yeah this this is really hard. I understand that it's really hard um, and, and problem solving with them on what aspects of it is hardest for you and how can we, uh, how can we work within the constraints that we have to try to make this as easy and as pleasant an experience as possible. Mm-hmm. And of course, that also can involve uh, hopefully talking with other parents first about what they are, um, they're experiencing in their children as well. And and then talking with the teacher and advocating for the things that you're seeing that that your group of children is uh, is experiencing. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I say talk to other parents first is because 
uh, it's often uh, white parents and parents of the dominant culture who are most out there saying what will work for their child and what won't. Mm -hmm. And if we can first kind of gather input from a broader variety of parents who are in the classroom, we can make sure that everybody's voices are heard when we are reaching out to the teacher and, and asking for the things that, uh, that might help our children more. Mm -hmm. That's such an important point. Um, you know, you, you also touched upon breaks. And for me, coming from a neuroscience background, I that's something I try to talk to parents a lot about because we have this sort of misunderstanding that a child could technically sit there for an hour and listen <laughs> to a teacher talk. And then when we really think about ourselves as well during a meeting, we don't do that. Right. We don't sit there for an hour and focus yeah. entirely on what the person is saying. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that in terms of the importance of breaks and, and the, the role of concentration and, and not just the role, but how we can help our child, I guess, in terms of their concentration. Yeah, I think that's really going to vary based on how the school district is setting up this this learning, um, because we're, we're mm. seeing, I mean, even different different schools in the same district are going to be are on different schedules, we're seeing. Mm. Um, and so there, there's going to be no one size fits all answer. But uh, there, there are some schools who are saying, you know, you're going to be on for five or six hours. You get an hour for lunch and a 15 minute break and that's it. Wow. And, and your response to that is going to be rather different than, <laughs> mm. I mean, if we're talking early elementary school, yeah. a more ideal situation is going to be maybe a lesson is 20 minutes long and then there's a break. Mm. Uh, and of course that can create difficulties with parents at home. And I think one reason that, um, that schools have gone to a more uh, structured longer day is the parents are saying, you know, I got to get work done too. I need True. you to entertain my kid. I need you to keep them focused for this mm. six hour period so that I can work. And mm. so schools are, are walking this super fine line between what researchers know is developmentally appropriate. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. this is not up for question. The idea mm. of asking a five-year-old to sit on six hours of zoom calls with just an yeah. hour for lunch in the middle is, is, is not developmentally appropriate. No. And teachers are doing the very best they can within this system that's imposed on them by the district. And in many cases was requested by parents. Mm. Um, so, so absolutely we can, we can try to help our child take mental breaks by doing things like turning the camera off, um, mm -hmm. by uh, allowing them to move around yes. while they are engaged in learning. Um, so that even if the school and the teacher is not allowing for breaks, that they can kind of get a little break for themselves, as it were. And, mm -hmm. and then also advocating for, uh, for enough breaks in the day that, that are developmentally appropriate. I agree. I think this is really a, an important part of everything that's going on. And by where you are now in California, are schools, are some kids in school physically or is it mostly Zoom school? Um, there are some private schools that are open. Okay. The vast majority of state schools are running uh, remote only. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's, it's very different than here. We are mostly in school. Okay. Um, physically here in Montreal yeah. so it's only very few kids are, are using zoom school mm -hmm. um but then a large majority decided to to homeschool so it's yeah. interesting to see the yeah. difference um you we spoke about you you spoke about um interest-led learning mm -hmm. um and again when for me when I think about learning and education I I often think about interest-led or inquiry-based learning um being how you kind of get a child to to remain motivated and and active in the learning process what if a parent has never heard of this and they wanted to <laughs> they want to homeschool can you talk a little bit more about that and what that looks like in the home 
Yeah, yeah. I think firstly, it's important to recognize that that we know that children and all people learn best through interest led learning, which is the mm. idea of uh, learning about something you're interested in. <laughs> um, and, and I first I realized this when I was writing a thesis on what motivates children to learn. And mm. so I went to the library at the University, University of California, Berkeley, and I took out basically every textbook they had about <laughs> how children learn. <laughs> and I'm reading and because it's a public library, a lot of the textbooks are from the 80s and so I'm reading these textbooks and they're talking about the authors are basically lamenting the discrepancy between what we know about how children learn and and how people learn best when they are learning something they're interested in and how uh, how they are taught in schools and the textbooks were were reconciling this by teaching teaching teachers tricks to entice the children to be interested in something they otherwise would not be interested in so that's where you get all these like math problems that are that are word based um, you know can you calculate uh, such and such a factor for uh, and this is an, an 80s textbook you know if, if Captain Kirk uh, wants to beam Scotty yes. back to the, <laughs> the Starship Enterprise what do you need to calculate it, given these two parameters what's the third parameter uh, and so using tricks like this like setting up a mystery at the beginning of class and, and asking the children to solve the mystery by the end of the class uh, to to get children to be interested in something that otherwise doesn't interest them. And mm -hmm. I thought, okay, well, these textbooks are published in the 80s. This research is probably 20 years old by then because that's how long <laughs> the publishing cycle <laughs> works in academia. And, and we've known this for this long and nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. And True. so, okay, so if in schools we've known this and nothing has changed, um, I, I need to do something different here. And so... Yeah, so the idea of interest-led learning is that you learn something that interests you. And the first question parents often ask is, well, I mean, there are times in life when you have to do things that don't interest you. <laughs> um, yes. what, what, how do you do that? If my kid's only going to want to play Legos all day or play Minecraft all day or whatever. And um, I first learned about this topic through an article in Outside Magazine by a writer named Ben Hewitt, who has written books about uh, homeschooling and um, and unschooling, which is kind of taking oh, yeah. led learning to, to its logical conclusion. Mm. And uh, he wrote about his children who had never been to school. They grew up uh, hunting and trapping on their the land on the land of their neighbors in Vermont. And um, and they, they wanted to get a gun license so that they could own their own guns. And they would sit at the table and, and their mother said, look, they're memorizing useless facts just so they can pass a test like they would in school. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I, it was just, I mean, it's fascinating. Firstly, these kids are, I mean, they're self-sufficient, they're independent, they're incredible, mm. incredible kids. And when they have a goal that they want to achieve, they are still perfectly capable of using uh, you know, learning strategies we learn in school, like chunking out information and mm. using mnemonics and, and all the little tricks that we teach ourselves to memorize things in school. They can still learn those. They can still use those mm. and they can pass the test and get their gun license uh, because they wanted the thing at the end. Yes. <laughs> to, and they were willing to put that effort in. And that's, that's really the key here is when the child wants the thing at the end, they'll do all the, you know, all the meaningless stuff 
in the middle that you have to do. Um, but, but they want that thing. And so that's the difference here. They got to choose what was the thing at the end. And that's really the key uh, to interest-led learning, which is we're allowing the child to make the decision about what interests them. And that's what drives it. So you don't have to be there saying, learn this, memorize this, do this, mm-hmm. that they are saying, I want to learn more about this. I want to get books on this. I want to read about, I want to watch videos about, I want to go and see. Yes. And, and all you're doing is connecting them with resources. Yes. I love that. And I, I think, you know, we, we as parents and a society now, if we have a child, especially let's say starting elementary school, we, we might think, okay, we got to get them to learn how to read, how to write, mm-hmm. how to start with math. Yeah. And a parent might question right now with what you're saying, but how do I, mm-hmm. I know that they need to learn this. Yeah. How do I get them interested in, in reading or math if all they want to do is go play outside? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, another kind of very loaded question and with a variety of answers and and, and implicit in what you're asking there is the the fear. I I don't want my child to be behind. Yes. yes. Uh, I'm afraid that if Mm -hmm. they don't learn now, they're never going to learn or they're going to learn late and they won't be able to catch up with their peers. I mean, Mm -hmm. parents have this really deep fear that their children are going to fall behind in some way, in Mm -hmm. part driven by our capitalist society where you always have to be pushing, you always have to be ahead, you have to be competing for those best university places and that perfect Mm -hmm. job. Um, and this and, is arguably from birth as well. Oh yeah, this, absolutely. From, we we yes. start comparing milestones. Is your yes. child, is your baby crawling yet? Is they, oh, they're not, uh, mine isn't or mine is right. and mine is walking now. And we, we do it yeah. from the start. And do you remember now what age your kids were? I mean, does it, does it have any no. bearing on their ability to run and jump and climb right exactly. now? Exactly. No. Yeah. No. Um, no. So, so the real work there is for parents no. to relax a little bit and Mm -hmm. and yes there you could get a workbook you could work with your child on reading exercises and and i have absolutely nothing against workbooks if the child is engaged in it i mean there are times when my six-year-old i she we get we take her to the bookstore the thing she wants to buy is a workbook and she wants to do the (laughs) exercise i'm like are you for real (laughs) that's the thing you want to do if if that's the thing she wants to do that's fine she'll work through the exercises uh she'll trace the letters and all the rest of it absolutely fine Mm. um the the issue we have is when we try to force children to learn to read who aren't ready uh, we create all kinds of problems we we make it into something that they resent they don't even want us to point to the words on the page anymore because they Mm -hmm. know our agenda they know that we this is important to us and we're going to make a big deal out of it and we're going to make reading unpleasant Um, whereas if we can just relax i mean the research indicates that uh, even children who learn to read late uh, there, there's no distinction between their reading capabilities a couple of years after they learn how to read. Mm-hmm. And, and particularly when they're not in school and, and information is not presented in a written format. I mean, there are so many other ways to learn that it's not an impediment. The only reason we teach kids to read early in school is because it's the most efficient way for us to transmit information from, from a teacher to a group of 30 students. Mm-hmm. And so because it's easy for the adults, we force the children to do it. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. Uh, you know, and, and you mentioned the, the word resentment st- stood out mm-hmm. to me because I'm picturing our society now in terms of children who were in school mm-hmm. and now are home and some being homeschooled. And they're used to being taught. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say that in quotes because they, they're used to sitting in a, at a desk mm-hmm. and and not having the choice to, to decide what they want to learn. How do you undo that? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if 
these students might have this sort of resentment against the whole education system or if yeah. parents might feel that now even if they're listening to this and they say you know what this i have an older child who's home and i really want to take this this you know uh, interest-led learning approach mm -hmm. i wonder if some students might not be comfortable with this because yeah. they don't they've never been part of this sort of learning yeah yeah it's definitely something we see uh mm. All, all toddlers know how to ask questions. Um, you, yeah. Everybody's almost everybody's child Many. goes through that phase where they're asking three million questions. A day yeah, exactly. It's like, oh my goodness, when is this going to stop? And the yeah. thing is, it does stop, right? The children get mm. to school and they learn that their questions are not important anymore. The thing that they need to be able to do is to produce the correct answer to the teacher's question as quickly as possible mm. and with no missteps along the way. And so, yeah, it's, it's an absolute definite shift to then... Uh, to move towards something where their interest becomes <laughs> the, the driver of learning. Mm -hmm. And this actually is a main focus of the membership group that I run. It's called Your Child's Learning Mojo. And we have parents in it whose, whose children are still in school. And we mm -hmm. have parents in it who are fully homeschooling. Uh, so it's sort of agnostic to what else is going on in your child's life. You can do this in the afternoons and evenings if your child is in school or Zoom school, uh, or you can do it um, it, it doesn't take all day, but you could spend an hour a day on these kinds of activities and, and that would constitute your homeschool if you chose to go that way. Mm -hmm. But essentially what we're doing, um, we're, 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 there are two tools that we can use to, um, to figure out, okay, how, how are we going to understand what are our child's interests so that we know what to pursue and and parents are also often first tempted to say well what do you want to learn about and the kid just first thing that pops into their mind you know dinosaurs unicorns mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> hey, and that, that's not really actually something that they're interested in so the the main way of figuring out what are they interested in is to watch them is to watch yes. what they're interested in. So mm -hmm. what kind of books do they ask to read over and over again? Uh, what, uh, what play things do they come back to over and over again? Mm -hmm. What, uh, what are they asking to get books out of, out of the library about? And then, uh, so, so you can really observe their play and see what are the themes in their play and use that as a jumping off point. And then the second main kind of way of getting at this is what questions are they asking? When you just pay attention to their questions and even write those questions down instead of just saying, well, the answer is X <laughs> or, well, let's Google it. Um, the, if you write their question down and, and you know, if, if, if parents can take one thing out of this related to interest-led learning, write your child's question down and instead of answering it, just saying, hmm, I wonder why that is. I love that. Yeah. And, and then use that to kind of spark a conversation with your child the, I mean, you, <laughs> the kinds of deep learning that happen when you, instead of answering a question, just pause and say, hmm, I wonder why that is. And, and your child will start to give their ideas and you'll think, well, is it that or could it be this? And you'll start to build hypotheses, and what, which is a fancy word for saying an idea based on what we mm -hmm. already know. And, and uh, well, can we test some of those? Could we see what floats and what sings? Let, can you grab mm -hmm. a bowl of water and I'll run around the house and get some toys and, <laughs> and we can test and see what floats and what sings and, and then maybe we can answer your question that way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is how we get started. So mm -hmm. that, that's the process that can feel very strange to parents who are used to, you know, the, this is the question in the workbook and the answer is X. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Shifting from that to, uh, well, I don't know the answer to that question and that's okay. Let's go and figure it out together approach. Mm -hmm. 
And there's something beautiful about nurturing that sense of wonder in a child, you know, yes. like just, and when they come to an answer or conclusion with you, that sparkle in their eyes or that sort of, yeah. ah, that moment of like, wow, <laughs> <They're>, you know, <laughs> like you said, with workbooks and same thing, it's the same thing in our home and we have workbooks around and the kids go grab them when they want. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely not something that we put in front of them or, or if we play school, pretend school, then my kids will take it out. But it's just, there's so much around us for me, um, learning which is what I try to talk to, uh, you know in terms of learning from birth is is just discovering the world around you the environment that you're part of yeah um especially with young kids that like you said they're so curious about everything what like you said what floats what sinks um mm -hmm. why does it float why does it sink yeah um those are the types of questions that lead to so much learning and in, in, in depth as well yeah they really um, do and and obviously I, I think parents who are hearing this for the first time are thinking but what are they actually learning are they getting any useful skills mm -hmm. and and we went through this at, sort of at the beginning of uh, the period when schools were closed uh, some some neighbors of ours were building a fence and they had some offcuts of wood and my daughter campaigned to, <laughs> to have them and so they gave them to her and I showed her how to use the hot glue gun and <laughs> uh, and then she raided our Tupperware cabinet for all of the to-go containers and then she uh, asked me to email all of our neighbors for all their to-go containers and so and then she went through the garage and took out all of our scrap wood and she's hot glue gunning all this stuff together and I can send you a picture of, of how it came That's out amazing. I mean it basically took over our entire backyard <laughs> Uh, and, and so <laughs> it was it was pretty amazing actually and so you might look at that and think well okay but but what is she really learning and so I thought that myself and, and I went through mm. and I thought okay what is she really learning and and I made a list and I, I don't have it in front of me but I'm just going to sort of you know rattle off roughly what mm. I remember she she learned about how to cooperate um how to ask me to do things for her when I would go out and help her with certain things she would have to give me instruction um how to measure how to take uh, acceptable shortcuts on measuring by putting the piece you just cut and marking the piece the same length instead of mm -hmm. having to measure again. Um, how to use manners to ask for things from the neighbors and then thank them again afterwards. <laughs> Uh, how to persist when, firstly, how to make a plan for doing something and then how to persist when it gets difficult and how to adjust that plan when what you originally thought was going to work didn't work. Mm. Um, and, and there were like 15 things on this list. And, and these are not, she, she can now name the capital of Peru and she knows what two plus two is and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. But these are deep, deep learning yeah. skills that are applicable not just in elementary school, but high school and throughout her life. Mm -hmm. And and she learned these by herself in our backyard with $3 worth of hot glue sticks. <laughs> this is not something I yeah. could have taught her. Probably the most expensive preschool in the world could not have taught her these things in that period of time. She mm -hmm. learned them because she wanted to learn them. I, you know, it's the skills I think that we, we relate to in terms of education are, are not really the skills there's so much more than learning how to count and numbers oh, yeah. and how to read yeah. um you know resilience and intrinsic motivation self-efficacy you know mm -hmm. there's so much more that is learned through like you said these projects that they do and when you think back I, i've had this discussion with with teachers where they take the you know like a school project and when kids have to do these school projects there's a lot to do it's not just about learning what a panda is and what they like mm -hmm. to eat and where they're from it's the ability to sit down and to um, organize it yeah um, those, those executive functions and that ability to plan out what you have to do and drawing it out and getting the picture and putting it on a, a board and getting it ready for your talk you know like 
there those are the skills that and you get to practice those a lot more when you're doing the types of project you just mentioned yeah yeah and yeah. and the key part about um the example that you just gave is that by and large, maybe the children have some say in the topic that they choose, but most often they're, they're not choosing, they're picking. Yes, the teacher true. has yeah. some predetermined set of options and the child gets to pick between those mm -hmm. options. And you're kind of picking the one that seems less bad to you. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the times when you actually get to make a choice about the thing you learn about and about how you learn about it. I mean, it's so rare in schools. And um, I mean, psychologists know the kinds of skills that we're going to need to succeed in the future. Uh, Dr. Roberta Golenkoff and Dr. Kathy Hirsch-Pasek uh, talk about the six C's and I always forget one in the middle, so I'm going to try it. Um, <laughs> uh, collaboration, communication, um, uh, content, which is the one that school mainly focuses on, focuses on creative mm -hmm. innovation, um, oh, I need to write these down so I remember. <laughs> I'll, I'll have them up. Yes, I'll have them up on the website. Them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. So, so these skills are are going to be crucial in the future. And mm -hmm. schools primarily focus on content and ignore the other ones uh, to mm -hmm. our children's detriment. And and they mm -hmm. can get these even through things that look like to us like play like what is she really learning anything from hot blooming yeah. things in our back garden yes she really is and it's only when i can shift my thinking about learning that i am able to see that mm -hmm. and I, I think one last question i'd like to ask you because if somebody has an older child's home we might be thinking now in terms of you know how do we know that they're on track how do we you know if they are they having they're not having any standardized tests if they're home right mm -hmm. Um, and how do we know that they'll get into college? What, what will happen to these children? They, this might be, you know, uh, uh, a hesitation or, you know, a thought that a parent is having. Yeah, um, sure. what, what are your thoughts on this? Or can they get into college if they've been homeschooled for the past three years um, and they're older kids? Yes, they can. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good straight um, answer. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I mean, I think there, there are two elements to your question there about mm -hmm. are they on track? There's, firstly, there's the... Um, it, how do I know if my child's having a problem kind of question? Mm. And uh, I, I would definitely say to parents, you know, if it, if it seems as though your child is, is that they're not doing something because they are really struggling with it, like they want to learn how to read, but they can't figure out how to overcome this specific issue, then I would say, absolutely. Uh, we're not going to just say, oh yeah, they'll read when they're ready. Um, I, I would definitely uh, request testing from your school district or from private services or, or whatever's most appropriate in your in your geography and mm. uh, see if there is a problem there that if we help the child to overcome now that they will be able to read or, or whatever it is so mm. um so there's that aspect of it and then the other aspect of it you know that can they get into college yes they can i mean some colleges are even putting in uh systems to flag the applications of homeschooled students because they recognize the unique vitality that homeschooled students can bring to their population. I mean, Stanford University wow. is a famous example. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, in, in a world where the vast majority of students who are applying to colleges have essentially the same experience. And the difference between them is, do you have five advanced placement courses or six? Uh, did you go and volunteer in Chad or Cameroon or Cambodia? Uh, a, a, a student who was homeschooled and who got to direct their education and choose what they're passionate about and speak to the admissions officers uh, by essay or whatever mechanism it is about what drives them to learn and what uh, 
studying for this degree is going to mean in their learning journey. I mean, I, I never want to position this as a, as a competitiveness thing. I'm not doing this to give my daughter an advantage in college applications and mm -hmm. admissions. Um, but I really believe that in a world of standardized education where the vast majority of children essentially look the same to these application committees, mm -hmm. that a child who presents with uh, a set of skills and a, set, and a motivation that drives them and a clear vision for how studying this for this degree is going to be the next step in that journey. I mean, what professor doesn't want to teach a child like that? I mean, homeschool children mm -hmm. end up being professors' favorites because uh, they are driven to learn. They see the professor as an equal, not in a bad way, not in a, well, you should have given me an A and I'm gonna get my mom to call you way. Yeah. And an intellectual, you know, can, can you help me understand this? And mm -hmm. I, I've, I've read these five sources and I'm still not quite getting it. Could we please have an intellectual conversation about this? And mm -hmm. professors just love those students. So yes, they can get into college. Yes, they do well in college. The main thing they may struggle with is academic writing if they haven't done a lot of that. But one course in that brings them right up to speed. And what they, they find is they look around at all the other students who have been told what to learn for the past 15 years and who are burned out and who have no motivation to do any kind of schoolwork. And they just think, wow, <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not coming from that place, that I'm coming mm -hmm. from this different place. I think that'll be reassuring for a lot of parents then if they, yeah. <laughs> if they have an older child. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I think something that I took out of this, which is, I had never thought about this, but really journaling, journaling about your child's oh, learning, yeah. Yeah. um, the way that you described it was wonderful in terms of really observing them and writing down their questions and, and then nurturing that sense of, you know, curiosity and wonder through these questions that they're asking. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I would, I would say somebody who's listening, that could be one of their first steps. Mm -hmm. Um, and what, what, I guess uh, to, to close off our conversation, what other tips do you think, um, you would tell parents who have just begun homeschooling? Um, I mean, I think the number one tip has to be relax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not, uh, you know, if you do this one thing, your child's going to be on track for the rest of the year or mm -hmm. something that you must do, uh, I, because of the way our education system works we are taught that well if they don't do this thing by this date they're going to be behind yeah. once they get behind they're never going to catch up and and that's just not the case especially in this period when i mean essentially i think the rest of the academic year is going to be it's going to wash out mm. um they're going to children are going to learn a little bit and when schools are back in teachers are going to end up going over the same stuff anyway because half the kids will have been through zoom school yeah. the other half won't um, and so the, it really could be an incredible pressure release valve for parents. Um, if they decide to homeschool, they could just take some time to see what their child is enjoying. That if mm -hmm. on the first day they haven't identified an interest, they're not behind. Mm -hmm. It's okay to just let your child decompress and play and, sure. and see what they're interested in, see what questions they're going to ask. They may not ask many at first if they've been in Zoom school and they're burned out. Mm -hmm. uh, but but if, you, if you take the pressure off both yourself and off them, uh, they will start to wonder, you know, I wonder mm -hmm. what happens when whatever, or why is this like that? And then you respond with your key answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hmm, I wonder why that is. <laughs> you jot down their question and you can just start exploring. What, what are some ideas? No, 
not with the goal of getting to the answer, but with a goal of just, you know, where can we take this? And, and yeah, journal, journaling is definitely something that I teach in the Your Child's Learning Mojo membership. We, we talk about how to create a learning journal, what to write in it, um, how to track your child's learning so that you can look back on it and say, oh yeah, last time we thought about this, this is what we thought. Have your ideas changed about this at all since the last mm. time we, we asked this question? Because kids do come back to the same questions over and over again, and that can really mm. help to deepen their learning. So you mentioned your membership. What else do you have available in terms of uh, on your platform, on your parenting mojo? Yeah, so so we've talked a lot about learning, obviously. And, and yeah. so, yeah, the Your Child's Learning Mojo membership really helps with that, uh, that aspect of it. And then finding your parenting mojo is kind of the other half. So that's the, the domain that has typically been what we, you know, the, th- the ways we think we need to support our child. Um, maybe our child is having regular meltdowns over Zoom school or something else. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we, we find that we can't have a conversation with our partner about the differences that we have in our parenting approaches without somebody getting their back up and stonewalling and walking off in a huff or whatever um we we find that we don't have we don't understand our goals and our values so that we're setting limits by the seat of our pants and everything just seems really hard all the time Mm. and so the finding your parenting mojo membership is really the other half of the learning Uh, and so the two together form this sort of complete package of support uh, for you to to help your child and and to make parenting easier for you as well Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for chatting with me today about homeschooling and education and learning. I think, I hope parents have the same feeling that I do where you're kind of like, ah, okay, we're going to get through this, you know, we are. (laughs) everything will be fine. (laughs) And the key is we need to get through it. Our kids are going to be fine. Yeah. (laughs) If we can trust them. Uh, And if we can, if we can bring it on ourselves to back off a little bit and relax a little bit, our kids are going to be okay. Really, Mm. the main work is in us. And and in some (laughs) ways that seems intimidating, but in other ways, it's a massive opportunity because that's far easier to work on yourself than it is to try and change somebody else. (laughs) Mm. And that defines parenting, doesn't it? It does. It's always about working on ourselves. So much of the time, whoever would be so much about that. (laughs) I know. Nobody told me. Nobody warned me. (laughs) I know, right? They tell you about all the sleep stuff and the. Yeah. But there's (laughs) nothing about myself. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. How much your 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 identity is going to shift? Exactly. Wow. Continue to as your child gets older. Yeah. I know. It's thank you, thank you again, Jen. I had such a wonderful time speaking with you. I hope we chat again. This was really fun. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you are enjoying the Curious Neuron podcast, please take a moment to rate it and leave a review on iTunes. You know how I always finish my episodes by saying, until next time, stay curious. Well, my kids have been listening to my podcast and wanted to give it a go. So why not? Here are my three and five-year-olds to sign off for today. Until Until next time, stay curious, stay curious.